HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Coffee. Making the job site a more alert place. Coffee is approved by safety officers everywhere who remind us to drink early, drink often, drink coffee. What's up? Welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you go further and faster in the field of HVAC. In these podcasts, I share stories, interview experts, and sprinkle some miracle grow onto your HVAC knowledge. Now, if you're new here or this leaves you wanting more, definitely go and subscribe to my list at HVAC360.com and you will get instant access to additional golden nuggets of goodness that I serve up to you fresh on a weekly basis now we're at episode number 82 where we answer the burning question what is energy modeling and why can't i seem to get enough of it all right to answer these questions and more we have for you today as our guest eric holderup who among many other things is certainly a leader in the energy modeling field before we get into the interview i'd like to state that a lot of engineers design engineers out there already are familiar with load calculations, but don't get them confused with energy models. Eric points out load calculations focus on design conditions, while annual energy simulations targets typical conditions. So in other words, load calculations are a mere snapshot uh, of the most severe design day, while energy models take a look at the entire year. All right, please stick around afterwards after the interview, and I'll state my three favorite highlights from the conversation. So let's cut to the tape after a word from our sponsor. All right, today we're talking with Eric Colderup, who is the principal at Colderup Consulting and also the current board of director president uh, for the Abipsi USA chapter. So how are you doing today, Eric? Uh, very good. Thank you, Matt. So uh, I guess, can you, what can you tell me about um, energy modeling? I mean, what, you know, do you have anything about the, you know, why is it so important? Um, yeah, Sure. So, you know, I'm an energy modeler and I've been doing it for, uh, I don't know how many, over 20 years now. Um, the energy modeling plays a, a couple of really important roles and it could be in new construction or looking at existing building performance. Um, but, but what I've found is that it's, it's really important roles. It, it helps to integrate you know, the results of the energy model and the process of putting together energy model integrates the impact of the decisions by the rest of the team. So there's the architect and mechanical and electrical engineers, and um, they all make decisions that affect energy performance of a building, right? And uh, when you put together all the information about the design in an energy model, you see what the overall performance is. So it helps then when you give feedback to them, helps everyone understand their role in building performance. You know, it helps you identify the best path, you might say, to building performance. So um, so I can help somebody decide where to invest their their limited building capital. You know, should they put in better windows or or better HVAC 
a different kind of HVAC system? Should they put in more roof or wall insulation? So, you know, through the process of doing this analysis with an energy model, we can um, help to optimize the building. And, you know, depending on the climate, depending on the building type, uh, the the answers will be different in every case. So there's there's no like one size fits all solution to building performance in, in my experience. Um, I, you know, for example, um, a number of years ago, I worked on a hospital new construction project. And when we did an energy model, um, it was in a mild climate. This was in San Francisco. Uh, but even in that mild climate, we showed that using heat recovery on the exhaust air could be a huge energy savings. Um, and another big measure that the design engineers were trying to push for, but the owner was a little reluctant to look at, was using variable air volume to the patient rooms, which is, you know, many of your listeners probably know, um, hospitals would typically be done traditionally with, with constant air volume and very high minimum um, airflow rates for, uh, you know, air quality purposes. But uh, we could show that through energy modeling, if we went with VAV, and in this case, it was dropping down to uh, lower air changes at night when uh, the codes would allow it, um, it was a huge savings. And in fact, you know, these the heat recovery and the VAV went totaled up to something like over half a million dollars a year in energy savings. And so it, you know, it highlighted the, the big issues in a hospital were the ventilation rates and the high air flow requirements. And then the model could be used to show that um, there were really significant savings available there. And they went ahead and, you know, and implemented those measures. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of cases where energy modeling, uh, you know, what I find in a lot of cases is that a design engineer, for example, has an intuitive sense of what the design should do. You know, what's an efficient design for that application. But um, before they can really push the owner to make an investment in that, they need to do some quantification. And the energy model can provide the backup. So that's that's like one really important thing is that it just provides us with some information about what we think we want to do. And then the other cases, it... Um, you know, it surprises us. Energy modeling gives us insights into what is important. You know, it might be especially important for for somebody who's working on a project, um, maybe in a new climate they're not real familiar with. And in their own territory, they're used to, you know, what makes sense and what's most efficient. But, um, well, I mean, this is maybe an obvious one, but it just recently also another hospital looking at it in um, – Alaska. <laughs> and uh, my hospitals in California, we don't really care about the envelope at all because it's so energy is so driven by the, um, you know, the outdoor air ventilation rates and fan energy and so on. But uh, clearly in Alaska, when you did the energy modeling, well, you know, what do you know? The walls and the roof and all that insulation levels do make a significant difference, especially the window performance. So um, those are just, I guess, a couple, a couple stories on, you know, what, what makes energy modeling important. Uh, there, there are a bunch of times, almost every project I do, whether it's office or retail, um, the energy model provides the rest of the design team with some understanding of 
where the building's likely to use energy and where the opportunities lie. And, you know, it's um, almost, almost every time, especially if they haven't been through a lot of projects where they've used energy modeling, there's a, there's kind of like a light that goes on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I thought that in San Francisco, I should be putting in R100 walls because somebody told me that that's efficient, but actually we need to pay attention to our lighting energy because that's the biggest end use in an office in San Francisco. So it's an educational tool for um, helping to optimize buildings, I guess. That's one of the big important things. Okay. Now, I mean, as far as the, uh, you know, on a per project basis, I mean, do do you use, do you typically see energy modeling being used on all projects? No, not yet. (laughs) So, um, you know, is, is, a number, many projects are pursuing a lead certification, green building ratings. Most of those projects do some energy modeling. In uh, in California, uh, the energy code is pretty strict. And although it, it you know it's similar to the, the latest version of ASHRAE standard ninety point one in terms of stringency, but it just like ASHRAE ninety point one does, it places an upper limit on on window wall ratio if you want to follow the prescriptive method. So if in California, if you're over 40% window wall ratio, you do need to use the performance method for compliance. So that drives a number of projects that are doing energy modeling. And, um, and also utilities offer incentives for uh, building succeeding the energy code. And, and that drives some too. I'd say, you know, larger commercial projects, I don't, I don't have an exact number, but I'd, I'd say, you know, at least half of them are using energy modeling, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and more and more design engineering firms have uh, good energy modeling capabilities. And so more and more of them are using the simulation as uh, part of their design in some way as well. So you, I mean, uh, I guess getting back to that, do you see yourself, I mean, is, are you strictly just an en- energy modeler or are you, do you do also some design work as well? Yeah, I personally am, am only involved on the energy modeling side. So um, I'm, I guess my business is in a niche where I tend to work with um, some engineering firms, design engineering firms that, that don't have their own strong in-house capabilities or, um, you know, have, have limited capabilities in-house and uh, they, you know, are being asked to do energy modeling by their architects or owners. Um, and, and, and so I guess you'd say in a sense that I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm competing with the design firms that do in-house energy modeling. And, um, when I started out, uh, 25 years ago, there, uh, there were very few design firms that had good energy modeling capabilities. And so I was working with a firm that focused on energy consulting and, and, and we would often be paid by a utility or a state agency to help out with help the design team by doing some energy modeling and life cycle cost analysis. Uh, but over time and, and appropriately, I think that energy modeling role has become more integrated into the design team. Uh, it's actually something that I, I sort of advocate strongly for. I actually did, um, well, I don't know. Seven or eight years ago at, at an ASHRAE conference, I made a presentation on bringing building simulation into your office. And I'd done a, you know, interviews with a number of firms uh, 
HPC design firms on, on how best to, or how they did energy modeling and, and then presented some trade-offs, you know, so some firms that got a group of, uh, uh, a, a designated group. So they've got their designers and then they've got their energy modelers and, um, they don't, they, they each sort of focus on those roles. Then there's another set of firms, a smaller group, but where they, they had their designers actually do their own energy modeling. And that was a really interesting case because um, they're great insights you could gain, sort of like I was talking about earlier. If you are modeling your own design uh, and it's, it's a trade-off, right? Because getting up to speed on using energy modeling is a bit of a learning curve. But um, the, the benefits, I think, are really significant because you learn about impact of various envelope components. You learn about the impact of lighting. Um, you learn the importance of HVAC controls on, uh, on energy use. So um, anyhow, that was a little bit of a digression there, but, but I, I think um, in spite of the fact that energy modeling has been around for a long time, um, we're still working out how to integrate it into our, our project teams in, in the best way. I mean, so that it was, makes sense. yeah, no. And, and, and I think that, you know, it kind of bring at least to, to, to my mind, it has a, a couple different questions that, that, uh, uh, bring up, you know, is, is energy modeling a, a very, you know, is it, is it an art or is it more of a science or how, you know, where does, where does it fall on that, that spectrum? <laughs> yeah. Um, good Good question. That's, that's one we, we, we talk about a lot. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely a science, uh, you know, the, the algorithms in the software are science and, and most of them are, are well validated, meaning that if you, uh, if you give the right inputs, you get, uh, accurate outputs that they, they match up well to, to actual building performance. And, um, you know, we understand pretty well where the uncertainties lie, but, you know, there's of course ongoing work happening in terms of developing algorithms and figuring out how to deal with uncertainty and all that. So, so in that sense, it's definitely a science, you know, it's, it's mature and, and, um, well understood, but, but I think where the art lies is in using energy modeling, you know, effectively and efficiently. Um, I'd say, you know, right now, there, there are a limited number of people who, who really have a deep understanding of the, the science, the, the software tools, and building systems. You, you kind of need, need all those three to um, be able to quickly and reliably get good results. So I think there's... You know, so so the art, the science of it is is pretty strong. The art of it is where, you know, as an industry, uh, I think we're we're kind of getting there. Uh, the tools are getting more robust and and sort of easier to use, so they don't require the huge learning curve they once did. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get to the point where the the tools nudge us towards giving proper inputs, you know, that the, 
the art is that we're trying to avoid the garbage in garbage out problem. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so that's, that's where we are now. You know, we're still not in a world where um, we can really easily translate the information from whatever it is, set of blueprints uh, or, you know, from an existing building into an energy model consistently and, and, and accurately. So that's where the art is, I think. But I mean, we could do that. The art is to do that without uh, you know, blowing the budget, essentially. Right. So uh, when you're, when you're, I mean, obviously with, with anything you have probably, you know, good load calcs, you know, good energy models, bad energy models. What, I guess, what are some things that keep you away from bad energy models? Is it, is it more or less on the input side or is it in interpreting the results or, or where, where exactly does that lie? Yeah, I think it, well, it mostly lies with the, with the inputs. Um, and there's, there's a couple issues there. There's a limited time, you know, in any project. Um, there's, if you're an energy model on a new construction project, you either have to get information from say the building owner and design team on, you know, exactly when do you plan to get there in the morning and leave in the afternoon or, you know, how do you, how many computers do you anticipate bringing into this building? You know, if, if the owner doesn't know that, um, or, you know, you don't have access to that information, then you make assumptions. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the, um, that's one of the, the issues, one of the barriers to getting, you know, more accurate models. Um, the, you know, the, the other is just that um, there's, you know, look, you look at a set of plans, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. And um, it takes a while for somebody to be able to understand what's there and get it into an energy model. So uh, some people, you know, have the experience to do that quickly. Others, others don't. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just another barrier to getting the input information in accurately. You know, as you, as, as people may have heard, um, there are a number of different workflows that are being developed. And sort of the, the holy grail that we've been pursuing in this industry for quite a while is getting from our, our BIMs, our building information models, um, in, in design tools or 3d models from design tools into an energy model and to go back and forth. So as an architect, for example, develops a 3d model of the building, um, it can easily be ported over to an energy model and develop some performance information and then go back and forth and and conceptually, you know, kind of simple, but, um, that's been the case for 10 years now where I thought, okay, next year we're going to have this uh, BIM to BIM workflow really, really worked out. But as, as people find there's all these unexpected questions, you know, there's stuff like stuff that's come up um, like the BIM model has thicknesses of walls, you know, cause you gotta, that's the actual building design. Most building energy models don't consider thicknesses of walls. They just kind of want to know 
where the wall is and, and what its thermal properties are, like its U value and heat capacity. And, and um, so when you, you go from one tool to the other, do you put the wall surface at the outside or the inside or in the middle? And uh, there's all these little details that, that the industry is trying to work out and, and develop standards for. Um, anyway, the short story is that uh, we, we will someday get to a world where there's a remote, more robust way to translate this information between uh, designers and models. Um, there are also efforts looking at the, the other big thing that um, energy modelers struggle with is, you know, I got this train package unit that's being proposed. What is the performance data for that thing? You know, we need to know more than just the EER for it. We need to know, you know, what its performance is over a wide range of outdoor air temperatures and air flows. And um, so that we can sort of create a performance map for that. So one manufacturer publishes some of that data, another doesn't. So you got to make assumptions. What's, um, well, another, another tangent here, but there's a, a new ASHRAE standard under development. It's called standard 205. And, and that group is, is working to create um, standard data formats for equipment performance. So if you have a package unit, for example, you know, here's how each manufacturer, um, you know, would report the power and capacity in a bunch of different conditions. And then those data are in a standard format so that an energy software could read that in and, you know, you could accurately model the impact of that, that system. That's a pretty exciting thing. I mean, it sounds like a pretty boring thing, but it's a pretty exciting thing from an energy modeler's perspective. Um, they're also working on similar formats for, say, chiller performance, uh, fan performance, so that um, we're overcoming some of that barrier to getting accurate information into the, the energy models, where now it's a little bit of an art to figure out how to represent a train unit or a carrier unit based on what information is available to you. Right. Because when you talk about the, uh, the EERs or whatever the performance specifications, um, typically that's going to be kind of a snapshot of whatever the equipment is, you know, so they can kind of select a base, best case scenario, but that's not the reality of how it's going to perform over a broad range of, you know, uh, design, you know, not design days necessarily, but actual days, you know, so you have, yeah. you know, shoulder days, summer days, winter days, you know, how is it going to actually perform across all those different, uh, um, you know, uh, conditions? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's the whole point to doing an energy simulation. <laughs> um, you know, we could, uh, as you noted, EER is a full load efficiency at, you know, say 95 degree outdoor temperature. And that, that, that particular condition happens only a few hours a year. So if we want to compare two different HVAC systems, um, one may look better in terms of full load efficiency, but what does it do over the full year? And, you know, when you do a simulation, you quickly learn that it's all about part load efficiency. And if you, you can get hourly outputs, for example, from a, simulation program and you could look at your chilled water plant load, for example, and you see that, okay, you know, it reaches that hundred percent load five hours out of the year. So do we really care about that? Um, 
it's sitting at its 20% load, you know, a thousand hours a year. And so that makes it real clear that we need a chiller that can unload efficiently. Um, and so as long as we can get decent part load performance from those manufacturers, we can compare manufacturer A to manufacturer B and, and see what makes sense in this case. And that's, um, you know, I've done that analysis for a couple projects, like some medical office buildings where they were uh, replacing chillers and they wanted to see, well, should I go with an air-cooled chiller or a water-cooled chiller? Um, I've got a couple different air-cooled chillers, one that's got multiple compressors, one that's, uh, you know, screw versus scroll. And, and you can get, um, you know, a decent amount of data from the manufacturer and, and, and do a simulation to see, you know, for this building, given its load profile, in this climate, you know, given the, the typical outdoor air temperatures, you know, which is best. And that's a real powerful uh, role for simulation. Right. And it gives you it, it gives you a lot of different decision points to discuss with an architect. And I mean, obviously, you, you were talking about BIM earlier um, and how essentially I mean, I don't know, I, I have kind of the, the belief that architects um, really struggle with the actual performance of an uh, of an envelope of the outside of a building. Um, and they're mainly focused on the way it looks and the way it makes people feel, which, you know, obviously is important, but also the performance is important and i think that that getting that bim type of mentality will not only help them make smarter decisions about windows and and wall construction um but you're going to be able to that's also going to impact how you select equipment because obviously um you know unless 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 you don't know equipment comes in certain sizes it doesn't come in you know every size so you know by increasing the performance of a will of a a window system five percent you might be able to kind of, you know, cut your mechanical system by 20%, get it down to the next level, things like that. Yeah, that's, that's another great point. You know, this is especially, um, there's a big push uh, amongst a lot of people in this industry to do early energy modeling, like, you know, at conceptual design phase, or even before that, you know, before, <laughs> you know, the ideal case is before the owner and the architect have sat down with a cocktail napkin uh, and and kind of sketched out what they think the building should look like. You should do an energy model. You know, you could um, do for this. There's one process called simple box modeling, right? So you don't even know what the building looks like. You just know, you know, it's going to be in um, Chicago and it needs to be 200,000 square feet. So you know, you create a simple model of a 200,000 square foot building in Chicago. And then you run a bunch of alternatives. You vary the window area, you vary the roof and wall insulation, window performance. And just with, you know, you could do this in like an hour and um, you can say, Hey, you know, for this type of building here, you know, using typical assumptions, of course, you know, these building forms are going to give you a lot lower loads and your windows have about this much impact, et cetera, et cetera. And then, so they can inform their early design decisions. And then kind of what you're getting at um, a little bit further down the road, like in schematic design, where you're, you're trying to decide, you know, am I going to use window shading or not? Um, am I going to go with that, you know, low transmission glass or not? Or, you know, exactly how tall should the windows be? You can say, and I've seen this on a number of projects. Um, in some cases, even, 
well, you know, if we go to like a triple pane low E window, of course we know that's going to be expensive, but we could do away with the baseboard heating system altogether if we do that and um, save, you know, X amount of energy or, you know, as you were alluding to, you can um, cut the size of the chilled water plant if you go with the shading, for example. And, and so we can justify some of these envelope upgrades, which have a, can have a significant impact by doing simulation to show that we can save money elsewhere. Real, real powerful tool. And, um, you know, it's kind of one way for the architect's decisions and engineer's decisions to be on the table together and, and figure out you know, the optimal path. Right. And so, you know, that, that does happen sometimes doesn't, doesn't happen in the standard project, but we're, we're trying to get there. So obviously, you know, you, you've talked about, you know, optimizing again. Um, you know, when, when you say that it makes me think of net zero building. So, I mean, how does, how does energy modeling and net zero buildings kind of, you know, factor in? Yeah, this is kind of a new frontier for the building industry in, in general, of course. Um, but, the big deal with net zero energy buildings is it puts new demands on energy models. Uh, up, up to now, before the net energy buildings, net zero energy buildings rather, uh, we were using energy models to compare alternatives. You know, do I go with option A or option B? You know, do I use this chiller or that chiller, or this window or that window? And um, what we were really interested in was the relative performance difference between the two. We weren't really trying to predict the actual energy use of the building. And, and it wasn't that important to do that. We just needed to know the relative difference. And um, modeling simulation is great for that. Now, the owner and the design team wants to know how many photovoltaic panels do I put on the roof? And those are expensive. <laughs> and, and, and so, um, it's, it's an important question. So you got to know how many kilowatt hours of energy is this building going to use per year? And, and so now the energy model needs to reflect as accurately as possible, all of the actual operation of the building. So before whether, you know, you didn't really care whether the system startup schedule went, you know, 6 AM to 6 PM or 5 AM to 7 PM, you know, the relative, performance of the two systems would still be, you know, in the, in the order, uh, you know, it, you'd still get a good answer about the relative performance of two systems. Now, if you get that schedule wrong, well, you you know, your kilowatt hours are going to be pretty far off. So what, what it means is that um, we have to spend more time on our energy models. We need more discussion with the future building occupants about, you know, when in, what's your operating schedule going to be? Uh, we have to talk about, you know, how many computers are going to bring in there. Uh, we need to talk about, you know, are they going to turn the lights off during the day or not? Those kinds of things. But um, so that's a challenge, but it's also, you know, a really big opportunity because now, now we're also starting to get into what's really important, which is the absolute energy use of the building. Um, and one of the things you find if you do an energy model is that plug loads are often a really big deal. And as we're making our envelopes more efficient and our HVAC systems more efficient, uh, we're, we're shrinking the pie, but that plug loads 
piece of the pie is staying the same. Uh, and so what I've seen in a lot of net, in, net zero projects now is that the, um, that the owners are coming to, are being brought to the table and say, okay, now you have a job as well. You have to think about the efficiency of your computers and your copier. Uh, if you've got a kitchen in there, we got to think about demand control ventilation on the hood. Uh, you know, we got to, we got to think about all those things that design teams might not have been responsible for in the past. And, you know, so, um, I've seen several cases where buildings were um, designed to be net zero and then in operation, especially the first year, they don't get there. Uh, the, you know, the energy model was under predicting the, the actual energy use for some reason. Um, but then it's usually in all the cases I've seen, it's a, um, a starting point for, you know, the exploration of, well, have we commissioned these projects properly? Uh, are they being operated differently than we thought? Is something wrong? And usually, you know, it's, it's that we find something's um, been improperly controlled or something got overridden, et cetera. So it's, it's um, the, it, it's, this is something that, we should have been doing all along, even if it wasn't a net zero building, right? Net zero building, you see the utility meter and you say at the end of the year, did we add up to zero? You know whether you made it or not. And so if you didn't, you got some something to compare to. Um, right. Because I mean, even, even, even that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously net zero is one goal, but even if you look at say, uh, um, ASHRAE's BEQ, uh, process for, for grading buildings, you have the, you know, as modeled and then you have as, you know, as operating. So you have kind of the, the two kind of the two metrics, um, both on the same scale and you can kind of see exactly, you know, where they're lining up and that, that, you know, you might have the case where you need to tweak a building until you get it, um, operating the way you thought it was going to operate. Yes. Right. And, um, yeah, so the ASHRAE BEQ, they've got the, the as designed where you do energy modeling with some sort of standard operating assumptions. And then the, the as operated, which is how the building's actually being performed and used by, by its buildings, by its occupants. And so if you see a difference, then, then maybe there's the building's not being used properly. Um, this, it sort of brings up the, uh, the, the topic of, um, the role of simulation in existing buildings. And this idea is that, um, well, well, kind of like with new buildings. So if I create, we've created a model during the design phase, and then we see that the actual utility bills don't match up. So we go back, compare the model outputs to utility bills, and oh, the utility bills are higher. This gives us something that we could use in the commissioning process or perhaps recommissioning process to say, well, why? Why is it different? And uh, it could be something, you know, easily explained as well. The weather was different this year compared to the typical year, but it also could mean that things are not being operated as expected. And I've, I've had a couple of personal experiences where I created a model of an existing building. One was a big laboratory building and 
I tried and I tried to calibrate the model, you know, to get it to match up to measured data. In this case, we had measured data for um, tilled water and steam usage as well as electricity. And I just, I just couldn't figure out how the building could be using the energy that it was using. It was using more heating than, than my model would predict. And at some point I came to the conclusion, well, you know, my model's right. This building is wrong. And so further investigation found that there were um, stuck valves in the heating system. So it was doing, uh, you know, it was heating up the air and then cooling it back down again. And, and so sometimes when we do these simulations, it can help us to figure out that something's wrong. And it won't always tell us exactly what's wrong, but it, but it can kind of point us in the direction. We can go find stock valves. We can find economizers that, that aren't operating properly. We could find, um, you know, supplier control sequences that, that haven't been implemented, those kinds of things. So that simulation is also a powerful tool in, in an existing building to try to um, potentially identify problems. So you are the the current president of ABIPSA. Um, that is the International Building Performance Simulation Association for those that uh, are keeping score at home. Um, what can you tell me about uh, ABIPSA and what it does? What's its mission? Sure. Um, well, I can tell you the, the acronym is a mouthful. That's a little bit unfortunate, but here's what it is. So, um, so ABIPSA is actually an international organization. Um, I am on the board of Ibipsa USA, which is the U.S. affiliate. So there are affiliates in dozens of countries around the world. Um, Ibipsa USA, we've got, well, our, the mission, actually our, our specific mission statement is fostering better building performance through simulation. Um, the organization, we hold conferences. So we, every other year, we have a simulation conference. This year, it's in September in Chicago, coming up in, in 2018. Uh, we, for the last several years, we've been co-hosting these with ASHRAE. So it's a joint conference between ASHRAE and, and ABIPS USA. The, the members of the organization, you know, we're a professional organization. Um, the members are energy modelers, uh, researchers, software developers, you know, people who develop these simulation programs. Uh, university professors, policymakers, that there's been a pretty strong growing interest over the last four or five years. You know, the the demand for simulation has been growing, the interest in simulation has been growing, so the organization has been growing too. Um, there's also training. Uh, this this is also, uh, we developed a training program. It's a one-day building energy modeling training that is uh, also sort of jointly presented with ASHRAE. So it's as part of the ASHRAE Learning Institute. And, and there's going to be a, one um, session of that coming up in June at the ASHRAE conference in Houston. Uh, we've got chapters all over the country. We've got over a dozen chapters in cities around the country. And then what's exciting to me is over the last few years, we also had two student chapters start up, one at uh, UC Berkeley and another at Stanford. So there's a, there's a growing student interest in this, this field. Um, one, one thing I should say is that, um, you know, the name is building performance simulation. So energy modeling is a big part of it, but it, it also includes people doing things like airflow modeling, uh, computational fluid dynamics analysis, also, um, daylight modeling, 
you know, so at, at the Abipsa conferences, you've got people looking at beyond energy to doing airflow, um, light, some acoustics, you know, all the, all aspects of building performance. So, um, and then there's a bunch of committees. We've, we've got some really active research committees. Um, and one, one I think that's interesting to highlight is there's a, uh, sort of an architectural simulation subcommittee of research. And they've got a project going on now they call Project Stasio, S-T-A-S-I-O. It stands for Standard Inputs and Outputs, for Standard Simulation Inputs and Outputs. So that's a, like a collaboration between modelers and architects, and they're trying to come up with some best practices on how to present modeling inputs and outputs to design teams so that people can understand them. You know, I think it's come from <laughs> stimulated by some uh, uh, frustrated architects who had to work with 30 energy modelers and try to understand what they're trying to say. So that project Stasio is uh, something that they've got a website up and a lot of interesting work going on. <clears throat> so anyway, so that's, um, that's a little bit about a BIPSA. So I think it's a, you know, it's a good home for people who are interested in, in simulation and uh, in training, going to conferences, uh, learning more about it. Now, is there any sort of online components that that match with this um, conference training that you do? Uh, yeah. Well, so through the Asher Learning Institute, there are um, usually once or twice a year. There's a there's a live online presentation of this. Um, there are a number of videos that are available at the BIPSA website, it's ibpsa.us. You can find um, actually some snippets from that training. So, you know, like 10 minute videos that go through some of the fundamentals of energy modeling. So that's something that um, people who are uh, simulation curious (laughs) can check out. Um, Those are, those are currently there free online. Uh, All right. Um, Those are, those are a couple things. Good, 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 good. I think that, uh, you know, that pretty much uh, covers it. Anything, anything else that you'd like to, like to mention in, in, uh, as the last word? Um, I would just say that, you know, I think this is an interesting field. You know, if you're sort of a young person, one of the things that really attracted me to energy modeling was um, getting the high-level system view of a building, how all the integrated parts work together from an energy performance point of view. So, you know, if you're kind of a generalist. So, you know, if that's appealing to you, then this is perhaps, a you know, an interesting field uh, to get involved with. Um, and that there are, you know, there are firms out there that focus on energy modeling. There are firms that, uh, design firms that need energy modelers. So I think it's a... Um, a a growing dynamic field that uh, something someone could find rewarding. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Eric, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for the interview. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Bye. <laughs> 
All right. Thanks again to our guest, Eric Calderup, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, check out the show notes for links and things that he mentioned during the interview. You can find those show notes at HVAC360.com slash 82. As promised, here are my three highlights from the interview. Uh, highlight number one, obviously the growing use of energy modeling. You know, right now you can use a rule of thumb if you're not using a pres- prescriptive method uh, or using window to wall ratio of 40% that might tick you, like he said, to have to go to more of an energy model. Uh, But obviously we have net zero. We have high performing buildings. Uh, All of this is coming up in our future and it's going to happen whether you like to like like it or not. So you might as well get there first instead of trying to drag your heels and waiting for it to be mandated on you. So uh, that's that. Highlight number two, obviously bad information leads to bad modeling assumptions. This stresses the ability to communicate not only with the design team, but with the owner. Um, Here's an idea for you uh, that I thought of. Why don't you get that in writing, these design assumptions down, get them all in writing, get the owner to sign off on it. Uh, Even if you have a argument after the fact, at least it is a starting point to say, okay, here's what I understood at the beginning of the project and here's what is happening now. So at least it gives you a basis of discussion for any issues that may arise in the future. All right. Highlight number three, learn to optimize the system selections uh, using these energy models. Easy for me to say. Designing for part load optimization uh, really is going to be key. I mean, it's a new skill that's out there, not, you know, not just designing for peak load conditions. In other words, you really need to right size your HVAC equipment, even if it matter if it uh, really uh, requires you to increase the thermal performance of your envelope to be able to downsize to that right type of equipment that right system all right thanks everybody so much for listening hope this was helpful to you if you know somebody involved in energy modeling or load calculations why don't you share this episode with them use this as an opportunity to increase the value uh and uh, increase the value of your connection with them just as a, as a common courtesy. Also, uh, as mentioned in the top of the show, please subscribe if you haven't already to the list on at HVAC360.com for more goodies and weekly updates. And if you're so moved to do more, consider, me, uh, consider uh, leaving a review at iTunes. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of HVAC 360, helping you go further, faster in the field of HVAC. So until next time, know what you build and share what you know.